Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. I'm Maria Espadinha, senior reporter of FT Advisor and financial advisor. Joining me today is Paul McLone, president of the Society of Pension Professionals, and Andrew Boyd, pension transfer specialist and freelance consultant. We will be discussing guaranteed minimum pensions and contracted out benefits and why should advisors pay attention to this topic, which stems from a court case that happened so long ago that shoulder pads were still in fashion and Shinella Connor was storming the charts with nothing compares to you. I'll start with you, Paul. What are GMPs and why are we discussing this now? So GMPs date back to actually about 1978 when the, the government introduced the idea that pension schemes could opt out of the uh, state pension or at least parts of the state pension. And in exchange for that, they had to uh, pension schemes had to provide members with what was known as a guaranteed minimum pension. Now, the problem is that they were different between men and women, as was the case with many things back then. And when the Barber judgment hit the European Court in 1990, it was, it was fairly clear that pensions had to be equal. The trouble was that these GMPs continued to be unequal until 1997 when they were phased out. And in the 20 odd years since then, the industry has been struggling with how to cope with the fact that they that these benefits are unequal. The, the fact is the GMPs themselves are unequal and legislation hasn't changed that. What the court case was about was telling pension schemes they had to compensate members for the fact that these things were unequal in the first place. And it's taken us 20 odd years to get there, but we're, we're almost there now. And um, Andy, I would ask you, why should advisors care about this? How does this affect their clients? Obviously, we have to give the correct advice. Um, so having the appropriate information regarding someone's pensions expectations is, is central to that. There are also things which may be impacted by the changes which schemes are being required to make, things like calculations of benefits and the impact on cash equivalent transfer values, which obviously is a quite a hot topic in the advice market at the moment, whether defined benefit transfers are de rigueur or whether they are um, banished to the hinterland, which is a, a perhaps a topic for another podcast or another day. But we need to have the right information to ensure that we give the right advice. And a lot of schemes will have to go through what could be quite a painful process to equalize their benefits or to convert their benefits from, from GMP to what we would term as excess pensions, that is pensions over and above GMP, those which were subject to different rules, particularly in terms of their revaluation and deferment. So all of these things will have an impact on scheme funding, calculations of, of individual benefits and, and cash equivalent transfer values. So it's something which is going to be very important within the advice side of that equation. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul, we've had since um, this issue came back to light now due to the lawyer's judgment last year, which said that GMPs had to be equalised. What kind of impact had the case have on, on pension transfers? As Andy was saying, it's, it's quite an important topic for advisor and their clients. Yeah, it's, it's had limited impact on transfers, if I'm honest. There, there was a, uh, a brief period after Lloyd's judgment where a number of schemes put transfers on hold because they weren't sure what the implications were. Very quickly, though, pension schemes reintroduced transfers as something which members could take really without any, any difficulties. And what, what they've done is they've said to most members, you're welcome to take a transfer value and you can take a transfer value that represents the value of the benefits that we know you're entitled to. And if at some point in the future we conclude that you're entitled to some additional benefits because of this equalisation issue, 
then we'll give you an additional transfer value that represents the value of those additional benefits. And, and for most people, that will either be nil or fairly modest. So if you look at, uh, let's say you've got a pension scheme with a thousand people in it, 500 of them won't get an increase because they didn't have benefits that they earned at the right time. Another 250 people won't get an increase because they're of the wrong sex and only one sex in each particular scheme will, will be worse off. Of the remaining 250 people you've got, probably 200 of them will get a very small increase, which is less than one or two percent, which leaves you with a handful of people, maybe 50 out of a thousand, for whom the increase might be more material, maybe 5%, maybe 10%, in some cases even higher than that. But in the meantime, they can still transfer the majority of their benefits, knowing that they'll get a top-up if required. And Andy, what should advisors be aware of when they are advising on a pension transfer and the recommendation is positive? If a GMP is involved, does it, does it mean that they need to make the client aware that this top-up might happen later? Does it have to be a part of the suitability report? What is your views on that? I think, yes, we have to give all of the information that we can actually ascertain from the scheme. So I think what we really need, and, and I think I believe we do see that in most instances, is, is a good dialogue between the advisor and the scheme to say, well, what is your position on GMPs? How far down the road are you in converting these these benefits to the new structure, whichever it is that you're proposing to change to, which I say I would term as a normal pension, a non-GMP pension. And what has been your scheme's uh, experience in terms of recalculating the benefits? Are there differences? Are you finding differences? You know, do we need to be co uh, cognizant of the fact that there may be some difference between the value that you're able to offer now and the value that you may be able to offer in the near future? Mm. And is the GMP per se in any way, shape or form an argument forward or against a decision to, to transfer, Paul? Historically, it's been one which is has tended to um, prevent transfers, particularly of very old, uh, uh, and Paul will understand this, very old deferred GMPs. They had some very significant revaluation rates built into them through legislation. So, for example, if somebody left service with a lot of pre-1988 GMP, uh, and they left in the early 1990s, for example, just maybe before Barber, that GMP would be revaluing in deferment at 8.5% compound per annum. I know most excess pensions don't revalue at that kind of rate in deferment. You know, you, you may get RPI capped at 5%, you may get CPI capped at 4 but each scheme will have a different revaluation rate for, for parts of the benefit. But that revaluation of GMP was was fixed uh, in statute at eight and a half percent, for example. So that is quite a hefty rate of revaluation, given that we're in a relatively low inflation area at the moment. So those old benefits could, could really roll up very significantly with that fixed revaluation rate, and then that would obviously be a cost implication on the scheme to provide that that, that benefit ongoing. If that, the benefit value, the value of the GMP would be crystallized, if you like, at today's value, but then the future escalation would be more in line with normal benefits under the scheme. So the client would lose that extra level of, of escalation in, in deferment. Paul, no, I mean, uh, you know, the high levels of revaluation are interesting, but when somebody provides a transfer value from a scheme, all of that is baked in. So if I have to calculate a transfer value for a benefit that increases at 8.5% a year, then I pay you more money than if it increases at a lower rate. I think overall, the whole GMP equalisation shouldn't prevent 
and you know i'm not i'm not the financial advisor in the room but i don't think it should prevent people from taking advice and acting on advice if i'm a member with a ten thousand pound pension and a three hundred thousand pound transfer value knowing that at some point down the road my pension might increase by one or two percent and the transfer value i get might get a top up of you know five to ten thousand pounds i doubt that will change the advice about whether transferring is a good idea or not i think a more practical issue is if two years down the road a member does come back and say my pension scheme has just told me I've got some extra benefits and I've got an extra £10,000, is what do you do with it? You know, is it counted as part of the original transfer? Can the financial advisor make a recommendation about what to do with that money? Does it automatically follow to the original provider where the first transfer went? Will that provider accept that money or will they say, sorry, we're not interested because it's so small? If it's too far down the line, can the financial advisor give advice based on the work they did at the time or do they need to go back and do that again? Will the member actually pay for that advice or will they be faced with not knowing what to do with the money? You know, so I think it's those practical implications of what to do down the line. You know, If I was a financial advisor, I'd be saying we should only make a transfer to a firm that guarantees it will accept any top-up that comes in the next few years. Um, Andy, as a financial advisor, are these questions something that would make you worry if you had to uh, recommend a transfer value to someone who had a GMP? Would you like sit back and say, okay, I need to take a very careful look at this because it might cause more problems in, in the future than than not than to stay put and not transfer. I think I think Paul's pretty much covered it. You, you give your advice at the time you give your advice and it's mm. the the value of the deferred benefits at the time you give your advice which you are you're advising on the additional transfer value hasn't doesn't change the value of the benefits if you understand what I'm saying it was effectively a top up required to provide the better level of benefits that you were advised on or you you know which were taken into consideration with the advice you were given at the time it was given so in that respect I don't think it's necessarily makes life that much more difficult I do take Paul's point that companies do have uh, minimum contributions companies do merge and companies do close down unfortunately or, or stop taking new business so when you get, when you make a recommendation now you have to be as certain as you can be that, that company will still be around in a couple of years time mm-hmm. and besides pension transfers paul is there any other areas of the advice that are impacted by this topic for an individual There's all sorts of areas that are impacted by this. You know, one of the key things that is on hold at the moment is something known as trivial commutation. So if an individual has benefits below a certain level, then they're entitled to cash in all of those benefits and take uh, the benefit as as a lump sum. If you're in a scheme where you've got a GMP and there is uncertainty about what needs to happen to that GMP, effectively, trivial commutation cannot happen. Now, For most of us, we might think, well, it's trivial. It's called trivial for a reason. It's a small amount of money. But it does have real impacts on people. So we we had a case recently where we had a member who wanted to take a trivial commutation. It was the right thing for them to do. They were going to use it to pay for their daughter's wedding. We then had to go back to them and say, sorry, legally, we can't give you that. That member's then saying, well, who's going to pay for my daughter's wedding? Andy, would this be an issue uh, for an advisor, is trivial commutation something that clients do often um, in your experience? It's not something that we come across that often, mainly because if it's less than £30,000, they're not required to take advice. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't, but a lot of them just tend to say, well, it's only £30,000. 
I don't want to pay for advice on, you know, um, a trivial, effectively a trivial pension. So a lot of them are done directly with providers without uh, without advice. But I think it, this this reiterates a point that I that you and I discussed previously. Wherever you set uh, an arbitrary limit, like the thirty thousand pounds, there will always be cases which are near that sort of border, uh, you know, that sort of figure. And even if you raise it to 35,000 or 40,000, you still find cases that were in that kind of zone where any uplift in, in you know, the potential uplift, if there is a potential uplift to be seen in the, in the CETV from the conversion of these benefits, it will take them out of the, the no advice zone and out of the trivial zone into the, into the advice zone. That is that is something which we have to think about, which we have to consider. If somebody is close to you know, that sort of arbitrary limit, which is, as you know, is currently £30,000, is there anything likely to happen between now and the time that the advice is actually completed, which is going to take that take that fund, if you like, over the top of the, of the arbitrary limit? Mm-hmm. A lot of issues that Paul mentioned uh, about uncertainties of how things will progress, uh, how the top-ups will be awarded in the pension transfers, when uh, schemes can go back to allowing trivial commutations. Are these issues that we're going to have some kind of answers in the hearing that's going to come uh, next year? Or is this hearing only going to focus on past transfers and we still need to deal with these issues later on? I think the hearing that we're expecting next spring is is all about historic transfers. So the the issues we've talked about so far about future transfers and trivial commutations, a lot of that is largely known. There are some st- outstanding issues still, such as tax treatment of various issues which HMRC are dealing with. But the, the hearing that's scheduled for next year is about whether we need to go back and look at transfers that happened before the Lloyd's judgment. Now, that raises a whole bunch of additional issues in, in my mind. If, um, if if someone like Andy gets a phone call in six months' time from a member who took a transfer value five years ago and says, look, Andy, you gave me advice five years ago. I've just been offered an extra sum of money. What do I do with it? That That's a very different issue because you're then faced with thinking about where the money goes, thinking about whether you can give advice on it, all the issues we've just talked about, but it's about something you did five years ago. And, and I don't know how financial advisors are expecting to deal with that if, if that's indeed what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, do you think you would like more clarity on this if one of your past clients knock, sure. knocks on your door? Would you think that you need some kind of clarity from the regulator? Yeah, I think it's essential because if it's an advice point, then... There's an expectation that, it, in our mind and in the, cha- in the um, regulator's mind, that it would be charged for. So somebody we they may have done a, I don't know, I'll just use some some sample numbers, a half a million pounds DB transfer six years ago. Their GMP is converted. They get a small additional payment of, I don't know, let's say twelve thousand pounds, just literally pulling it from the air, handling it in terms of actually placing it into the existing plan, shouldn't be a problem in this day and age. Very very few companies place significant minimum contributions on people who are already invested with them. They, they just like to get their, you know, to, to, to have their sort of funds incremented as, as often as possible. So I don't think that necessarily would be a problem. It's a case of, is it an advice point? Does it require a full analysis as a standalone piece of work? What is a reasonable charge for doing that? Um, does it require a suitability letter? Does it require the original uh, advice to be confirmed as suitable? And then the top-up advice 
confirmed as suitable uh, as, an, as an increment to the existing plan. It's all very unclear, I, I would say. There, there are situations where the, the regulator has, has helped in the past with things like slightly different product, but better nicer, for example, if you have set out a program with a client that every year you will uh, arrange for them to have money moved from an investment account into their ISA, then that is not a recurring advice point, and therefore you don't need to do a suitability report every time. You still have your MIFID requirements and so on, but not a suitability report. Would that be the same for this kind of thing? I, I would hope that you know we could actually come to some uh, method where, where, given that these are, well, I hope, he says, looking for some wood to touch, be a fairly rare occurrence, um, that, 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 that process could be factored into the regulations to allow it to happen painlessly. And, and of course, the other related issue on that is if this is a member whose original financial advisor no longer exists, or if they mm. took a transfer value before the requirement to take financial advice, then who do they turn to? Because remember, this is circumstances going back to 1990, depending on okay. how the uh, hearing goes. You know, if the worst case happens, or I say worst case, if the best case happens for members, which is probably the worst case for practicalities and every transfer value since 1990 has to be revisited and an additional top-up paid, even if you can find the data to work out what you should pay, um, you're then stuck with the problem of what do you do for those members who never took advice at the time. And is this something that we can expect some clarity from the court or after the court's decision we'll need some kind of um, guidance from the regulator? I expect we'll get some clarity from the court, but I don't expect it to answer all the questions that all of us will have. Mm -hmm. So I imagine we might be staying, standing in the same place in a year from now, still discussing GMPs. I think so. I, th I think we'll be discussing GMPs for the next five years. I think the, the early adopter schemes will equalise over the next year or two. We'll then get a, a rump of schemes, let's say two to three years out, who will follow on from that, having seen the experience of the first schemes. And I think four or five years out, we will still have schemes who haven't yet equalised um, because they haven't got around to it yet. And until they do, then the members waiting for a top-up to their transfer values will still be waiting as well. Interesting times to, to be a pensions <laughs> reporter. Um, thank you for joining us today, Paul and Andy. Um, tune in next week for another edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.